to be able to open the Word with you and share with you, and, and we have appreciated the opportunity to meet some of you, renew some friendships, and uh, even found out that I dated somebody's aunt <laughs> when I was at Cedarville, and now he's a grandfather, so I don't know how old that makes me, but anyhow, so it's, ama- it's amazing the connections we make. We run in a small world, don't we? As believers in Jesus Christ, uh, we have people all over the place. We were in um, Myrtle Beach one time, and uh, we're sat, you know, Myrtle Beach, the buffets and all that other kind of stuff. I'm, I'm getting something out of the salad bar, which was probably a better option than some of the other options there. I'm getting something out of the salad bar, and on the other side I hear, how you doing, preacher? And it was a guy from West Virginia. I spoke at a, at a couple's retreat about five years before that. And this guy's standing on the other side. So we meet people all over the place, don't we? And that's great. That's that bond we have in Jesus Christ. And you pick up where you left off. And it's an amazing truth. And as we talk tonight, and as we have been here this week, we've built relationships. And, and we develop relationships that are going to last a lifetime. And I know that some of you who come every week, every family camp too, have built those kind of relationships. And it's really neat to hear some of those stories and to hear uh, how God has, has, has worked in your lives. And, and again, it's been a privilege to get to know you. Thank you for the encouragement as we've gone through the book of James. I know this hasn't been an in-depth study, but I think it's been an opportunity for us to uh, get our minds wrapped around some truth that is important for us to have and not necessarily the dotting the I's and crossing the T's, if you know what I mean. How how do we encourage one another to move in faithful ministry toward those who need desperately to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I hope, and my prayer is, that I know uh, Troy's prayer has been that this week would be a motivation for us as we go back to our homes and as we go back to our churches and we go back to our workplaces, that we would use what we've heard and hopefully how we've been challenged to see people as God sees them, people in desperate need of a Savior, in desperate need of hope, in desperate need of an opportunity for God to transform their lives. People are going through so many things. Uh, In February, I had double knee replacement surgery. And um, God really blessed in in my healing. But the opportunities to talk to people were unbelievable. Uh, While I was in the hospital, before I went over to physical therapy, uh, I think we were on the end of everybody's rotation because I remember about 10 o'clock at night, somebody would come in to give me medication or, or just to check on me, check vitals, all that other kind of stuff, and they would be in the room for 45 minutes just unloading their life. It was unbelievable the stories that Chris and I heard from individuals who just needed someone to listen to them and for us to be able to share Christ with them. And and it was such a blessing to be able to to experience that. I I think I said everything well. You know, medication at that point, right after surgery. I'm thankful that Chris was there to sort of straighten everything out. You know, he's, he's a little loopy right now, so. 
But are we taking every opportunity that God gives us to share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And that's really what this week ended up being. Troy and I didn't talk before to try and coordinate messages and coordinate our thoughts and, and what God would have us to speak on. So it's just been God weaving this together this week. And I hope that you've seen that, and I hope you've been challenged, and I hope you've been encouraged. And, and for those of you who are sharing your faith, keep doing it. Keep about sharing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For those who, you know, you know, struggle with that a little bit, hopefully this is a jump start for you, an opportunity for you to say, you know what, I think I can do this. This really isn't as hard as it sounds. I just, I just need to take those first steps and those initial steps. For those of you who don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I pray that you have heard the gospel enough this week, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that all of us are sinners, that we are all separated from God because of our sin. There is no way that I'm going to do enough good things in my life to gain heaven. I'm never going to stand before, as people say, the pearly gates, and when St. Peter asked me, why should I let you into heaven, I'm not going to have enough good things to say for him to let me into heaven. It is only by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that we have the hope of eternal life. And as we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that is the only way that I have assurance of heaven. We're all sinners. And we all fall short of the glory of God. But great is thy faithfulness. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Great song, Dave. I appreciate you. And Katie, thank you for sharing that. What a reminder of who God is. God demonstrated his love toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. Christ died for you. Christ died for the world. And that's the great hope that we have. And, and I pray that over this week and as we conclude this week that, that you would be challenged in that way, that you would really examine your heart and examine your life. Do I know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior? And am I sure that if I leave this world today that I am going to be in the presence of my Savior? Not because of anything that I've done, but because of what Christ has done for me. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the opportunity again to open your word. And Father, as we look at the book of James, we, we are challenged by it. We are encouraged by it. We are affected by it. Father, as James said, as we look into the word, we're looking in a mirror. And Father, as we've seen our reflection this week already, Father, I pray that we are making those changes that need to be made so that we might better reflect the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being here tonight, and I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. You are our Redeemer. And you are our God. Amen. So we've gone through the book of James already. We've seen this as James has tried to uh, tell these 12 tribes, <clears throat> this group of individuals who have been scattered abroad, 
You're going to have trials in your life. Those trials are going to come. Temptations are going to come also. So beware of both of those and how you respond to each one of those. Trials are going to come. They're external. God is allowing those to shape us and mold us and to help build godly character into our lives so that we might look like Jesus Christ. Remember Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that says, whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed. Our predetermined end is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And that's what sanctification is all about. That's what spiritual growth and spiritual maturity is all about. So the book of James is talking in those regards. How do I develop spiritual maturity or how do I develop in my maturity as a Christian so that I might better reflect the image of Jesus Christ? Okay, so trials and temptations are going to come. Those are going to shape and mold us into the image of Jesus Christ. We need to beware of those temptations that come from the inside and those desires that well up and we walk in, you know, all of a sudden we give in to those desires. Temptations aren't sinful. It's the giving in to those temptations that become sin and we need to remember that. Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are tempted and yet without sin. When we are tempted, we do have a way of escape. We don't have an excuse for falling into that temptation. There is always a way out of those temptations, and that's what James is talking about here. Beware of that. Beware that Satan is going to attack you and he's going to tempt you. The next thing that he talked about was being hearers of the word and not doers only. It's going to be a thing that he repeats over and over in the book, and we've already seen that, that here, we've already seen that. Not being hearers of the word only, but because of what we hear in our faith, we become doers of the word. Chapter 2, we talked about this sin of partiality. How do we view people? Do we see them as God sees them? And that's important. That's very important as we go about our everyday life. And then James talks about faith without works is dead. You can have religion. You can have all the religion in the world. But if it's not based in faith, based on my relationship with Jesus Christ, if that isn't growing, if these two things aren't coming together, faith without works is dead. It's just a false religion. It's just not taking us anywhere. So James hits that point again. Chapter 3, let's look at chapter 3 tonight. We're going to look at a couple things here in, in chapter 3. And this idea of taming the tongue, words that hurt, words that heal, verses 1 through 12 of chapter 3. Let me read those for us. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at a ship also. Though they are large and are driven by the strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, 
a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the whole course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring bring forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James is direct. James is to the point. James is going to tell it the way it is. He's not going to beat around the bush. He's not going to say things to make us feel good. He's going to challenge us where we are, and he is going to take us to places where we need to go. He is going to impact our lives in ways that are that hurt, that hurt. The tongue, he says, is a restless evil. He starts off with, not many of us should be teachers because you have a greater responsibilities. You have this opportunity to teach, and he's talking about teaching the word and proclaiming the word. And as a pastor, I feel that great responsibility to rightly divide the word of truth. I feel that great weight that's on my shoulders every Sunday when I stand up in the pulpit and, and I've studied and, and, uh, and I pray and I ask God to give me his words, not my words, and, and help me to understand the text. Help me to understand what you were trying to say to us so that your word, as I have that opportunity and that privilege to proclaim it, that it touches hearts where, those need, where the needs are in, a, in any individual's life. And we know the power of the Word of God and the transforming work of the, of the Word of God. And, and I don't want this to be my opinion. I don't want this to be anything other than God speaking through me to the hearts and lives of individuals. And that's what James is saying here. Don't, don't think of this as something that, well, I'd love to be a pastor because you only work one day a week anyhow. And, and you get to go play golf and you get to do all these wonderful things. Well, the reality is, is that there is a great weight in being a teacher of the Word. And it's not something that everybody can do, and anybody can do. I remember, I remember guys in Bible college that have gone through two or three years of Bible college, and, and what I appreciated about some of our professors was to look at somebody and say, you know what, maybe you should find another profession. Because your heart isn't here. You're just doing this because somebody said this would be a good idea for you to try this. And I appreciated professors that were honest with those individuals, say, you know what, this might not be for you. 
Why? Because there is this great weight and this great responsibility. It says that a teacher is going to be judged with a greater strictness. So the words that I speak, the words that any pastor speaks, any teacher speaks, when we are seeking to communicate with the, communicate the word of God, needs to be God's words. Needs to be God's words. It doesn't take long to turn on a religious station and hear all sorts of things. All sorts of things. The Word of God convicts us also, doesn't it? I remember I was playing basketball with some guys and, and an individual was there that hadn't been to church for a while. And I said, you know, uh, hey, we've missed you around church. You know, what, what's going on? And he says, well, my wife started watching Joel Osteen on TV. And I said, so you're staying home to watch Joel Osteen? And he said, yes. And she likes him because he doesn't ask her to do anything. He doesn't ask her to change her life. You're going to be happy. Life's going to be wonderful. Just follow Jesus with that nice smile that he has, a nice slick back hair, 27,000 people sitting in that stadium listening to him and walking out and having nothing when they walk out. Great strictness, a great weight that is on all of us. So as pastors, he starts off there. There must have been people within that group that were, that were saying, hey, I want to be a teacher. I can do this. How hard, how hard can this be? And he's saying, you better beware because there is a greater strictness that's there. He goes on to say in verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. And basically what he's saying, there are times that we say things that we wish we could get back. There are times when we say something that just sort of comes out of our mouth, and have you ever done that, and you're trying to catch the words as they are coming out of your mouth because you know this is the stupidest thing I've ever said in my life? And you're, try, and you're trying to pull those back, and you think, oh, man. Okay, I'm just writing the apology now because I know this is not going to be good. This is not going to be good. And he says we all stumble that way, don't we? Our mind runs ahead of where our mouth goes, and sometimes it just, all of a sudden, it's there and it's out. And we need to be careful of that. We need to be careful of the words that we speak and again, in the pulpit, he's, he's still in that idea and still in that context of teachers. We need to be aware because we all stumble and, and we all need to be on our guard. We all need to be watching what we're saying. Because I would never want to be accused of steering somebody in the wrong direction as far as their faith and their understanding of the Word of God. And what a high responsibility that is and a high calling. Pray for your pastors. Pray for those men as they spend hours going over the Word, studying the Word. And it's, it's an awesome responsibility. I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. But man, it's a heavy weight when you stand up on a Sunday morning and say, God, help me to speak your words. 
so that people might hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So James says here in chapter 3, verse 2, we all stumble in many ways, and if anybody does not stumble in all, he's a perfect man. Who is the only perfect man? That being Jesus Christ. He is the only perfect man who was able to control his tongue and bridle his tongue, and as we use the example here, he didn't have to bridle his tongue because everything that he said was perfect, and so none of us are perfect. And so now, how do we control our tongue? Well, we need to be aware that there is, um, you know, a horse. Uh, Chris and I just rode out to Amish country the other day, and there's horses everywhere, and these huge plow horses, these work horses that they have are just mammoth beasts, man. They're just huge. And how do they control them? They put a little piece of metal in their mouth. And this little piece of metal steers that big horse. And the same is true with us. We need to bridle our tongue. We need to make sure that the Holy Spirit is guiding our thoughts, guiding, guiding the words that we say. We need to keep a guard over our tongue. We need to make sure that what we are saying is, is edifying and building up and, and pointing people toward Jesus Christ. And then he talks about a ship, and there's this small rudder. When I was rafting, I was a raft, did I say that before? I was a raft guide in the New River when I was in Bible college for four years. And, um, I mean, it was a great opportunity. Uh, I stuttered when I was in, in um, I'm doing it now. Uh, I stuttered when I was in high school, for whatever reason. From the time I was little, carry on, carrying on conversations with people was extremely difficult for me. So all of a sudden you're on a raft for eight hours with people, you're in charge, and now you need to communicate with those people. I had to learn quick how to talk. And you don't want to be stutter stuttering in the middle of a rapid either. But the amazing thing is that we would raft, and when I first started guiding, we had racks on the back of the raft, and we had 10-foot oars that we would use. And if the people in the raft weren't paying attention or they wanted to go to this side of the river and I knew this wasn't the best side of the river to go to, I would just put my oar in the water and just turn the raft. I could go wherever I wanted to go. And especially when the water was really high, we would train at 28 feet. The level of the river was 28 feet above flood level. And so the whole idea during those days was to keep the, ra keep the raft in the middle of the river and don't fall out. But with those huge oars, even though the water was pushing us all over the place, you could steer that raft wherever you wanted to go. And so it is with our tongues. This, this small tongue guides our life. What, is, what does James say here? Well, he goes on to say that so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. This tongue gets us in a lot of trouble. This tongue is a restless evil. And then he goes on to give us these examples. You know, what a small spark turns into a huge blaze. When we were in West Virginia, we used to drive down during hunting season, squirrel hunting season. The mountains were always on fire because somebody decided to smoke a squirrel out of a tree 
and set the whole forest on fire. Just a little spark. And you, you see what happens even with a small spark and how that turns into a great flame. So our words are that. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell for every kind of beast. And then he goes on to say, all of these have been tamed. It is restless, evil, full of poison. Satan would use our tongue to minimize and make of no effect our testimony. Do you realize that? I'm trying to build a relationship with somebody. I'm trying to build uh, an opportunity to share Christ with them. And something happens and I go off. I have to admit, I'm extremely competitive in sports. I, I love sports. I love to play. I love every aspect of that, and sometimes to a fault. So now the best I could do is bat to play slow-pitch softball. So I was up to bat last Monday night, and uh, church league, co-ed, and uh, the umpire wasn't the best umpire in the world. And he called me out on strikes, ball hit the same spot that he called two balls before that and I turned around to the umpire and I said you have got to be kidding me you have got to be kidding me that ball hit in the same spot three times and you're calling me out on strikes and I look up and here's my wife sitting in the stands here are these folks from church sitting in the stands and I'm thinking, what did I just do? I walk over and apologize to the team. I walked over and I apologize to all our folks that were there. It comes quick. We could destroy our testimony in a moment if we're not careful. And so we need to bridle our tongue. Words that hurt, words that heal. How do we speak to people? How do we respond to people? Have you ever seen somebody talk to somebody else and then all of a sudden some words come out of that individual's mouth and you can just see the countenance on the other person's face just drop and they're destroyed? And James is saying we need to be careful. This is extremely important. We need to be aware of the way we speak. We need to be aware of how we communicate with people. Our words and other places talk about the fact that our words need to be seasoned with salt. They need to be edifying. They need to be building up. And so we need to be careful about what we say. We need to be careful about how we talk. We need to be careful about what we're sharing about the Word of God. We need to know the Word of God. And there's nothing wrong with, with growing in that knowledge of the Word of God. But we need to handle that carefully. We need to be sharing it to build up people and to bring them to Christ. And how does this happen? Let me get to my notes here. Examples of that are the great ship and the horse. The damage that caused by idle words, a small spark destroys a forest. It can change the entire course of our lives. Think of that. 
How do we stop it? Well, it's an awareness. It can't be tamed by ourselves. It is only the Holy Spirit's work in our life that can tame our tongue to help us to be aware of that in our lives. James goes on to say, can a spring bring forth both salt and fresh water? Does a fig tree bear grapes or does a grapevine bear figs? No. So what about us? When people see us, do they see us talking about going to church on Sunday and they see something totally different on Monday? How does our Sunday carry over into our Monday? How do we live in light of our relationship with Jesus Christ as we go to work every day? Do they see something different in us? Before I went to Bible college, I worked in a factory. And um, I shared that the other night, uh, the nut formers. And what I realized was that a guy came up to me one day and he goes, you know what, you're the first person I ever met that said you went to church on Sunday and actually lived like that throughout the week. I said, how in the world did you recognize that? I don't even remember mentioning to him that I went to church on Sunday, and it was probably one of those things, what would you do this weekend? Well, we were in church Friday night, we were in church Sunday, you know, one of those type of things. And, and the opportunities to share Christ, people are watching us. If they know we're Christians, they're watching us. And so we need to be careful of the words that we speak. Let's move on uh, quickly as... I know we have a shortened evening tonight. The next thing that James talks about is heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom, verses 13 through 18. James says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly wisdom, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, and then peaceable, and then gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Webster defines wisdom like this. The accumulation of philosophical or scientific learning. That leads us to knowledge. The ability to discern inner qualities and relationships. That's insight. Good sense, which talks about judgment. So Webster defines wisdom in those three things, whether it's knowledge or insight or the ability to make good decisions. That's wisdom. In Scripture, we have wisdom defined as this. The word that James uses is Sophia. And in verse 13 and in verse 15, it's the knowledge and practice of the qualities of upright living. Verse 15, he uses the same word, this idea of wisdom, but he's taking it to the extreme the other way, and that earthly wisdom is contentious and involves craftiness. 
Same word, but he uses it in two different contexts. So wisdom that we gain as a believer in Jesus Christ and in our growth and development in Jesus Christ is experiential wisdom. Experiential in the fact that as I grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ and I see God at work in my life and as I see the transformation in my life, then my life changes. And I'm making decisions that are godly decisions. I'm making decisions that would lead toward godliness and would represent Jesus Christ in the way that I should be representing Jesus Christ. So godly wisdom, that wisdom that comes from above, leads to good conduct. There's works of meekness. It's not weakness. This is humility is what James is talking about. It's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason, mercy. All these things are just part of this wisdom that we gain as we grow in our understanding of who Jesus Christ is and the impact that he has on our lives. Can we say that enough this week? May we all leave this place and this camp this week changed and conformed more to the image of Jesus Christ than when we came on Sunday. May we look more like Jesus Christ because we've looked into the mirror of his word and, and we've, we've gained some wisdom and we've gained some insight into who we are. Our, our shortcomings, our nearsightedness, those things that hinder us from really, truly living out Christ in our lives. And that's wisdom that we gain because it's godly wisdom. It's wisdom that comes down from above. We look at Solomon as he wrote the Proverbs and directed by God to write that wisdom book. And these Statements that he is making over and over again through the book of Proverbs is godly wisdom directing us toward God. What wisdom are you using in your life? What wisdom are you using as you make decisions? How do you make decisions? Well, I know this. I know this, I know this, I know this, and I know this. Therefore, it leads to this. Or, do we say, I'm on my knees and I'm on my face before God. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally his wisdom. God, I don't know what to do in this situation. I'm seeking you. I want you to lead me. I want you to guide me. I want you to give me the understanding that I need so that I might make a decision that would be pleasing to you, that would glorify you, and that would bring honor to your name. That's godly wisdom. Seems like every time I make a decision, Apart from consulting God, it usually ends a major decision. You know, it's not like what I'm going to wear tonight. You know, that decision I really didn't have to pray about. Maybe I should have. <laughs> but the reality is, 
major decisions in my life, I want to pray about it. I want to bring it before God. As, as Chris and I had an have had an opportunity to minister in a number of different places, as God was leading us to another place, and, and we felt that God was leading us to another ministry, my heart was always, God, give me one choice. I don't want to make a decision with two or three different places where it would be great to go and minister at any of those, but I don't want to have to make that decision. Please just give me one just open the door and make it so clear that this is where you want me to go and this is where you want me to serve, that I don't have to make that decision because I don't want to booger it up. Uh, that's a theological term. You'll find that in the book of Hezekiah. You know, really, I just don't want to mess up this decision. I don't want to go someplace where you really don't want me to go, but I'm going because it looks like this, or I will gain this, or the reputation would be this or I would have this benefit, or whatever it might be. God, I want to go where you want me to go so that I might serve you. And that's asking for wisdom. Are those decisions in your life that come along, are you praying about those decisions? You know, and we can start talking about the will of God and what that is, and I believe the will of God is very big for all of us. And we make the will of God very difficult sometimes. The will of God is that we glorify God in all that we do, that we are a testimony for Jesus Christ anywhere that we are, and that his name is glorified in my life and through my life. That's the will of God for me. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all men should come to repentance. We understand that. So now they're in this big circle of God's will. There are many decisions that I can make within that that are all exactly the same. If I make a decision to do this or this or this or this or this, that's all within the will of God. I just want to be in the best place. I just want to be about that. I believe that God's will for my life is that I am a pastor. I don't want to do anything else ever. Could I have come to Walnut Ridge? There was a church in, in Illinois that simultaneously we were going parallel with Walnut Ridge. Would it have been just as much of a blessing to be there in Illinois if God would have directed there? It would have been. But God just closed all those doors and directed us specifically to Walnut Ridge. And, and I'm thankful that I'm there. What about the decisions in your life? Job change. I am capable at doing this. I'm an engineer, and I'm good at being an engineer. This job happened to open up over here. Okay? Another engineering job. It's a little bit better. But it may be taking me take more time away from the ministries that I have over here. And so we start to weigh those things out. The job is going to be more demanding. So I might not have the opportunity to serve like I was serving before. But it also gives me an opportunity to share more. You know, we, we, we need to make these decisions and we need to work those out in our head. And it's only God who directs us through those decisions. But within the will of God, those are all good decisions. But we still need to be praying about those decisions.
We need, we need to be on our face before God. Well, that God might help us. James is saying you need to use godly wisdom. You need to have godly wisdom. You need to have, you know, put this earthly wisdom besides, but behind us. Listen how he describes earthly wisdom. And you've seen people make decisions like this and not consult God at all, and they make a decision, and then all of a sudden, what they're seeing is that it is unspiritual, it is demonic. All of a sudden, there's jealousy and this selfish, selfish ambition. What am I going to gain out of this? Am I going to gain a reputation for myself by making this decision and using this wisdom? And James is saying that's just from the pit of hell. Because God's going to direct you. And as God directs you, there's this attitude of meekness. It's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle. I'm not looking for my own gain. I'm not looking for my own promotion. What I am looking for is for God's name to be glorified. And that's a pure reason to make a decision that I'm making because I am looking to God It's full of mercy. And it's interesting that he ends the chapter with this idea, those who make peace, sow peace. And there's a harvest of righteousness. If I'm walking in godly wisdom, I'm not argumentative. I'm open to reason. I'm able to sit and talk. I'm not going to battle you. I'm going to ask God to give me direction and the right words to say. It goes back to this idea of the tongue. All of this is the attitude of a heart, though, isn't it? The whole book of James is talking about the attitude of the heart. I want God to be glorified in my life. That's an attitude of my heart. I want God to be glorified in all that I do. It's an attitude of the heart. I don't want my words to be negative and destroying and, and bickering and argumentative. I want my tongue to speak words that are going to build up. I want to make decisions. I want to have godly wisdom. So as I speak to people, as I, as, as I look for insight, as I look for understanding, and as I have this opportunity to minister to them, God is glorified in all things, and it brings peace. Do you ever meet a person that is just argumentative? They're just looking for an argument every time you see them. They're not using godly wisdom. We need to, we need to wrap up. James is concerned about the spiritual growth of these 12 tribes that are scattered abroad, that have lost everything that they've had, that are in situations that are extremely difficult. He's saying, I want you to grow in your walk with Christ. And so in this passage, he's talking about guard your tongues and use godly wisdom. Because as we guard our tongues and as we use godly wisdom, it's going to produce a harvest of righteousness not only in ourselves but in those that are around us as they see Christ being magnified in our lives. Father, I thank you for tonight, and I know we rushed through this, and Father, I pray that as I communicated this that um, you could use it. And so, Father, I 